0: So that's what we'll be tonight, the solution, Jesus Christ, the Savior. Allow me to pray for us as we begin. We'll be all over the place tonight, so I hope you have your Bibles handy. Uh, Just be ready to to jump around with me, all right? Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for uh, the sweet time of uh, fellowship and uh, worship through song and praising you that we've had already tonight. Lord, I pray you bless this time as we continue our worship to look at your word. God, that as we see the solution to our greatest problem in being Christ, I pray that Christ would be exalted. Lord, that we would see him for who he is, that we'd see what he has done, and that we would worship him. Lord God, I pray that you would work in our hearts, teach us, convict us, and change us tonight, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I don't think anyone in this room has done this unless you've done it by yourself. But for many years, TYG has been a part of something called the 30-hour famine. Has anyone heard of the 30-hour famine? Okay. Has anyone participated in the 30-hour famine? Okay. Oh yeah, I guess so. I guess yes. Yeah, some of you guys did maybe when you were just starting in junior, in junior high, yeah? Yeah. Uh, so what 30-hour famine is and was and what we used to do, in case you don't know by the name, you don't eat for 30 hours. Uh, and with it, you raise money. Uh, short, Long story short, you, people sponsor you tonight for 30 hours. They give you money, and you give that money to an organization that gives it to poor, starving people around the world. Okay? Uh, and so here, we would do various things. We would all starve together for 30 hours, and we'd be here doing weird things. Uh, long story. I'm not going to get into all of it. Ethan, don't. Yeah, thank you. Okay? Uh, and so the point is, Not eating for 30 hours. Has anyone not eaten for 30 hours? Has anyone not eaten for 40 hours? That's a long time. You two have not. I need to talk to your parents. I'm concerned. (laughs) No. Okay. Yes. Has anyone gone 24 hours, one day, without eating? Okay. Okay. More people. All right. So you understand that feeling, right, of like just desperate hunger. And maybe you remember the feeling of finally eating, And satisfying and fulfilling that need. I remember when we do the thirty hour famine, we all break the fast together at seven PM Saturday night. It's been thirty hours, we're all hungry, we're all cranky, and usually it's something like spaghetti that we eat, right? And like that spaghetti is like the best spaghetti you've ever had, even though it's literally just like canned like tomato sauce and like mushy noodles but it's so good because we haven't eaten for 30 hours we're like oh i'm so satisfied even sometimes like we would only eat like beans and rice like that's that's what we get to eat after the 30 hours or we get to eat like dry cornflakes like but even those dry cornflakes were just so good because you haven't eaten for 30 hours and so it's satisfying to at that time when you haven't eaten you're like My biggest problem right now, my biggest issue in my life is I'm starving and I need food. And so any kind of food was the best. Maybe you guys have had similar things where you're like dying of thirst, even though no one's been dying of thirst. But you're like, oh, it's 80 degrees outside. It's so hot. And so like you, I remember one time I was playing outside. I was really young and I was like, it was hot outside. We're playing wiffle ball, and I was like, "Oh, I need some iced tea," and so I like got on the ground and like army crawled <laughs> to my house, because like, I was in such desperate need of a cold glass of iced tea, not realizing like that made it worse, right? But you remember like that quenching of your thirst. We're like, "Oh, I'm so thirsty," and ah, oh, like the ice cold water is so good. Or anyone wear glasses in here, Dottie? Yeah, we can see it. Okay, that's the contacts over there, glasses, glasses. Okay. So, you guys know, right? So, you know, maybe if you've gone like a long time, you can't see, and all of a sudden you get glasses, and you're like, oh, I can see, right? And you see, like, oh, that's like so much better. Like, you guys have experienced these things before, where you have a problem, and here's a solution. And when you have that solution, you're like, oh, there's that relief of that problem being gone. What we learned last week. Is that we all have one giant problem. And it's all the same problem. We all share it. It's all the worst problem that you could ever have. It's the greatest problem anyone could ever have. And that is sin. Sin is our greatest problem. And the problem, this problem, it's actually unique in many ways, this problem of sin. One is unique in that it's it's a universal problem. Every single person has this problem it doesn't matter if if you're a man or a woman does not matter uh, if you were born in america or if you were born in france or if you were born in in Ar- antarctica does not matter if you were born in 2023 or if you were born in 1907 it doesn't matter it's universal we all have the same problem this problem of sin it's also unique in that it's an eternal problem it's eternal. It's not just problems that we have. We've had problems here where you have this problem, and in a few days it's gone. Maybe you have a problem. You have a huge headache. You take some Advil. It's gone in 20 minutes. Maybe you have these problems. You have this problem with this friend, and it's lasted for months. But eventually, it's been resolved, and the problem's gone. This problem does not end at the grave, but it continues. It's eternal. It's also unique. And that this problem only has one solution, period. Not two. Not maybe two. Possibly. Or maybe there's a solution that we don't know about, we just have to discover. No, no, no. This has one and one only. It's not that it has zero. It actually has one solution. As we looked at last week, we all have this, right? We all have this giant problem. Every single one of us. Is guilty before a holy and just God, and we are all deserving of hell. We are all in that same boat. We are all born sinners and we are all deserving of hell, no exceptions. There is no difference between the person who has grown up in church their whole lives and, and sings all the, the cute little worship songs and and does all the awanas and get all those jewels and those crowns. Which I love filling that crown with those jewels. My goodness. There's no difference between that person and the gangster on the street who is murdering people and wants nothing to do with God. Both of those people are equally deserving of hell. No difference. Because you have sinned against God, we saw last week that your wage, what you earned, is eternal death. That's what you've earned for yourself. This is the problem. You are a sinner facing eternal judgment and wrath from a holy and just God. And the problem is that you are at war with God. That you are separated from eternal joy and satisfaction in Him. This is your greatest problem. There is no greater problem you could possibly face than this. Some people just start school and they think, oh, no, my biggest problem is this teacher. or My biggest problem is this person at school. Or maybe you're going to start school in a couple of weeks, weeks. You're like, oh, my biggest problem is going to be this class because I hate science class or whatever it might be. Ethan, you're like, yep, I'm starting in a couple weeks. Sorry, Ethan. And you think you have all these big problems and they may very well be big problems. Maybe you say, look, we're going through some financial problems. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills this next month. I don't know how we're going to pay for food. That's a big problem. You may say, my grandma is dying from cancer. She might die in the next week. That's a big problem. And I'm not minimizing that at all. But I am saying, none of that is your greatest problem. Not even close. Your greatest problem, if you are not in Christ, that is, is that you are at enmity with God. And his wrath is hanging over your head. Well, tonight we talk about the solution. Last week we kind of left, with, uh-oh, this is bad. So I said, you, got, you have to come back next week so you can hear the solution. Well, you guys are back. But there are people that are not. Oh no, they have to hear this. You have to know what is the solution to our greatest problem. And so tonight we're going to look at that solution. The solution that we, that we need and then we're going to spend a lot of our time looking at who that solution is, which is Jesus Christ. So those are going to be our two main points that we're looking at, the solution we need and then the solution being Jesus Christ. Okay? That's where we're going. So first, for the solution that we need. Two subpoints for this. In the solution that we need, the first is that we cannot create our own solution. We cannot create our own solution. See, our natural human tendency is to try to do something ourselves to help ourselves. We want to believe, I can do it. I can do it myself. We want to believe that we are good enough. That there must be something I can do to cause God to look in my direction. Something. Certainly, the the person who goes to church every week deserves God's love more than the one who who hates God and wants nothing to do with him, is what we might think. And so we want to be that person. We want to be the person that is in line and has the best chance for God to direct his gaze upon me. We think there must be something we can do, even if it's just a little bit, to cause God to love us. The Bible says that there will never be any good that you can do To make yourself right before God. Do you understand that? you understand there's nothing you can do to make yourself right before God. You cannot do it. It is impossible. There is no way. There is not a chance. There's not even a little bit of a chance that you can do to cause God to love you or to make yourself right before him. Nothing that you personally can do. And oftentimes I think people in the church fool themselves. They think that they're saved for all the wrong reasons. That they think they're saved because of their church attendance. They think they're saved because they've said and done the right things. I won't share my my whole salvific testimony with you, but that's a big part of my testimony. Is that growing up, I thought I was a Christian. I just thought that's just who I was. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm in a Christian family. My Christian is Christian. My Christian is Christian. My family is Christian. My family is a Christian family. My dad was a pastor. We, we went to church. We did the things we were supposed to do. Of course I'm a Christian. Why would I not be a Christian? What else would I be? Is what I thought. And it wasn't until I was about your age, maybe a little younger, I was 11, that I realized I'm not. it's not actually my own faith, my, my own salvation, my own relationship with God. It's just that of my parents. But I thought everything that I was doing up to this point Make me right with God. See, we seek to make ourselves our own solution. In fact, that's the message of every, I'm saying every other religion. That they all preach a religion of works. And it's a false religion. And some disguise it better than others, but it all comes down to you. It's about what you can do to make yourself right before God. And people fall for it. Because we want to know, well, how can I earn God's love? And the answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You are, as the Bible would say, dead. The Bible would describe you as you are spiritually dead. Some of you may have been around at TYG for Mr. Dead Guy. but Since it's junior high, maybe not. Hey, you remember Mr. Dead Guy. Mr. Dead Man. Oh, Mr. Dead Man. Thank you. Mr. Dead Man. Yeah, Mr. Dead Man... Imagine... I'm talking about physically dead. Imagine there was a dead guy just laying here in the middle of the room. Right here in front of me. And You guys would be like, "What? that's gross. What is he doing there? I agree. I would not want a dead man just laying here. But let's imagine Mr. Deadman's here. And Ethan goes, don't worry guys, I know what to do. I just need to give him some water. He's a little dehydrated. So he tries to give him water what's mr dead man gonna do get nothing he's gonna get wet that's it will he drink it no, no. will he get better no. no and then miguel's like ethan he clearly he needs advil <laughs> my mom has advil trust me so he goes and gets advil what's mr dead guy gonna do is he gonna be like oh thanks for that miguel that was helpful is he gonna say anything no, why would we not say anything? Because he's dead. And then let's say, you know what? All right, none of that worked. Now it's 10:30 at night. He's still there. And we're like, oh, maybe he'll be better by next week. So we all leave and we come back. The janitor vacuums around him. Sunday, everyone just steps over him. Well come Wednesday. Mr. Dead man's still here. So then Arden's like, I'll wake him up. And he starts slapping him across the face. What's Mr. Deadman going to do? Nothing. Nothing. Well, would anyone be surprised that Mr. Deadman's still there? Yes. I mean, you might be surprised because there's a dead man there. But everyone's surprised that he's not responding. No. Why? Because he's dead. He's dead. He can't respond. Now, that's a physical dead person. The same thing is true for us spiritually. The Bible describes us as saying that we are spiritually dead. And so we cannot expect a different outcome for a spiritually dead person as we would a physical dead person. It does not matter how much we may put Bible verses into our mind. It doesn't matter how much we may listen to Christian music or listen to God's word being preached or how much things we do, good Christian things, we are spiritually dead. These things will do nothing to us or for us unless God performs a miracle in our lives and gives us new life. You see, the only way a physically dead person can actually come to life Is through a divine miracle from God. God has to say, awake, rise. And this dead person will rise. Jesus did that for Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Arise, come forth. And he did. He rose from the dead. And it's the same thing for us spiritually. We are spiritually dead. We cannot do anything to resurrect our spiritually dead soul. But God can and God can, with a divine miracle, breathe new life into us and say, Arise, I give you life. We cannot give ourselves spiritual life. I cannot give you spiritual life. This must be a divine miracle from God. He's the one who gives us spiritual life. And if you are a Christian, you have been given spiritual life by the Holy Spirit. And you are alive. And there are some in this room who I believe are still spiritually dead. And you're here, and you're listening, and maybe you're even saying things that a Christian might might say. But inside, you're dead. And as much as I want to give you spiritual life, I cannot. But I pray that God will. So, God, or sorry, so we cannot create our own solution, but God is the only one who gives us our solution, which is our next point. God is the only one who gives us our solution. And you see, this is what the whole Bible is about God's master plan to make our problem right. He offers a solution, He offers us hope when all seems hopeless. See, all of Scripture. It's about God's solution to your biggest problem, being separated from the love of God. I mean, look, at even all the Old Testament, it points back to God's plan to save sinners like you and me. Just think of even the story of Noah and the ark. How many you guys know Noah and the ark? Most of you guys. Okay, good. You guys know most of the time it's like a nice little kid story. Oh, two animals. That's wonderful. Come in the boat. Animals. And they get in the boat, and they, oh, it's starting to rain. Nice little drizzle. Oh, it's getting bigger. Okay, well, at least we're in this boat. And then it carries you for 40 days, and, oh, we made it. Now it's dry land. Now we can go back and and start living again. Oh, that's so cute. Let's paint it in the children's nursery. It's actually a much uh, scarier story than that. And what Noah the ark really is, while it is indeed a true story that has happened in real life, it also points to Christ, our Savior. Because that rain, that flood, it wiped out the entire earth except for Noah and his family. And that flood represents the wrath of God. Total destruction. It was the wickedness. The world was wicked. And so God's wrath was poured upon wickedness. But who was saved? Those inside the ark. And the ark represents Christ. That if you are in Christ. You are spared the wrath of God. And the wrath will be coming down upon the ark. And and those who are not in the ark. But those in the ark. Were spared the wrath of God. So it's true for us. If you are outside of Christ. You will receive the wrath of God. But in Christ. You are protected from his wrath. Ephesians 2, I think, is one of, the, one of my favorite, most clear pictures, explanations of the gospel. You've heard it many times, but we, we need to listen to it again. Look at how the Bible describes us, the first three verses. describes every single person apart from Christ. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Remember, we talked about that, spiritually dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's that's a name for Satan. So he's saying you're following Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Listen to this in verse 3. Among whom we all, not we all except people that go to church, not we all except homeschoolers, not we all except Americans. It says we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, that's who we are. In our nature, children of wrath. That's our inheritance. We deserve God's wrath. But then look at this little three-letter word in verse 4. It says, but in verse 4, but God. But that but is huge! You can laugh at that. I know you want to. It's a big butt. Now, I want you to remember that big butt, okay? Now now you won't forget it. And I think it's one of the best words in the English dictionary, butt. One T. Why? Why is this so great? Why? Why is this butt so great? That was unintentional, that one. Because it provides hope. That's why. It provides hope. Listen, it's like this. If you hear the plane crashed and went down, you're thinking, that's not good. That's bad news. But everyone is okay. Okay, it changes everything. Or someone says, the doctor says, you have cancer. Immediately you think, oh, no. But it's treatable. Okay. You see, it changes everything. And so while this describes a horrible scenario for us and truth about us, it says, but God, it provides hope, it's great news. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It says, by grace you've been saved. We've been seated with him in the heavenlies. We've been shown immeasurable riches of grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. By grace we've been saved through faith, not of our own doing. It is a gift of God. See, God offers us hope. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us by his grace. Do you understand what's happening here? This is the best news you will ever receive in your entire life. And you may receive great news. Maybe you're going to go home tonight and your parents are going to say, guess what, we're going to Disneyland tomorrow. Ah, that's great news, Mom. Or they say, hey, guess what? We're raising your allowance. And you say, I don't get an allowance. Well, we're giving you a quarter now every month. Wow, thanks, Mom. You can receive all this great news. This is the greatest news you will ever receive in in your entire life. Because what this news is saying is that your greatest problem, which is, you have sinned against the Holy God. And because of that, you deserve eternal wrath and separation from him. And there's nothing that you can do to get yourself out of this wrath. But God was rich in mercy. And in his great grace and love, he gives you eternal life. That is great news. There's nothing better than that. You see, we have a great problem, but God offers a solution. And Jesus is that solution. Which is our next main point. Jesus is the solution. We're going to spend most of our time here, even though time has just gotten away from us. What happened? David, you asked, do you need more time for tonight? I said, no. I take it back. But there's nothing you can do now. Sorry. Okay. First, and Jesus is the solution. Jesus lived a perfect life. He bore the sins of every Christian, and he gave them his righteousness. This is so important. Every single piece of this. Jesus lived a perfect life. That's necessary. Jesus bore the sins of every Christian. That's necessary. And he gave them his righteousness. That is necessary. What we call this is the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake... He made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see what what this verse is saying? It's saying Jesus knew no sin. He never once sinned. How many people can say that with Jesus? Okay, good. That was a test. Okay, good. Yeah, right? He, He never sinned. Imagine that. Imagine. Never once disobeying his parents. Never once thinking a bad thought, a sinful thought, saying words that he shouldn't have said, thinking things he shouldn't have thought. He grew up with siblings. Oh, siblings always make us sin. My goodness. He grew up with siblings. Yeah, he never sinned against them. He never sinned against anyone. And yet... He was treated as if he was the greatest sinner ever to live, because he bore the wrath of all Christians. We have sinned greatly. We looked at that last week. And yet, through the gospel, we are treated as if we have never sinned, because Christians are covered by the righteousness of Christ, his perfect, righteous life credited to our account. Even though we are guilty of our sin, Christ's righteousness is covers our sinful life and we are treated now as sinless do you see how backwards this is like this is this is the great exchange this is how backwards this is is that because of what christ has accomplished on our behalf his perfect life is credited to our account and our sinful life in a sense was credited to his that he was treated as if he had sinned and we are treated as if we had not sinned and the reason that's even made possible is through the blood of christ how many of you guys know in the story of Moses? The ten plagues? Okay, most of you guys. In the ten plagues, the last one. Do you remember what happened in the last one? Firstborn would die. Remember that? Yeah. And it was, it was known as the Passover. It became known as the Passover. And this is, do you know why it's called the Passover? I don't know. Because he passed over. Yes! This is what happened, okay? The instruction was that you would take, I believe it's the the spotless lamb that you had and dip hyssop the plant in its blood and spread the blood over the doorpost, right? Like the frame of the door, right? The the, the doorpost, covered it with the blood, and then go inside the house. And those with those without the blood over the doorpost, the spirit of death come in, and the firstborn would die. But those in which the blood was covered in the doorpost, the spirit would pass over and they would be spared and they would not die. And so it's been known as the Passover. And again, this points to Christ, that Christ's blood covers us, that his righteousness covers us. See, blood needed to be shed and Christ shed it. Christ shed his blood. He was that spotless lamb. And then which we are found in, covered by his blood, then the God's wrath will pass over us. But if you are not found in the blood of Christ, then the wrath in which you deserve, the wages of sin is death, will meet you. Are you found in Christ? Are you covered by his blood? Christ is the sacrificial lamb. He paid what we owed. He completely, completely wiped away our debt. He makes our debt zero dollars. We owed millions and trillions of dollars. And he wiped it to zero. We no longer owe it. But he doesn't just leave us at zero. He doesn't just say, It's not just, Hey, I owed, I owed you God a trillion dollars. And he says, Okay, your debt is now cleared. you owe me nothing. It's not even that. but he adds billions and billions and trillions into our bank account. It's not just that we owed him and he made it zero, but it's that we owed him, he made it zero and added the immeasurable riches of Christ into our account. See, not only did God save us from eternal debt in hell, but he gave us riches in heaven. It'd be one thing to remove our debt. But on top of that, he gives us his riches. Remember, we're the ones who sinned against him. But now he gives us his righteousness. He gives us eternal life. He gives us communion with God. He gives us everlasting joy with him. God is a just God. We looked at that two weeks ago. He is a just God. And for him to remain just, Our sins must be accounted for. He can't just say, oh, okay, I'll wipe it clean and then I'll just give you a bunch of money. That's fine. This is not real money by the way. I'm talking about spiritual riches. God has to be just. Our sins must be accounted for. And so this is why Jesus died in our place. He died as a substitute in our place. You see, Jesus' substitutionary, sacrificial death gives Christians Life. That's our next point here.
1: Jesus'
0: substitutionary sacrificial death gives Christians life. Substitutionary. He is our substitute. What is a substitute? What is a substitute teacher? I know homeschoolers still have substitute teachers, correct? They do not? Some do. So, Some, you're like, no one comes in and bees my mom again. <laughs> Some do, right? Yes? You've had substitute teachers. You guys know. So what's a substitute? A person who takes the sure. place of a teacher that you all the or There you go. Okay, yeah, right? They they take the place of, right? The substitute. Take the place of. Substitute teacher. Take the place of that teacher for that day or whatever it might be. Christ is our substitute. He took our place he took our place, if you're a Christian, he took your place in receiving God's wrath. And Jesus is the perfect substitute. You understand? Because he's the perfect mediator between God and man. Because he's fully God and he's fully man. He is the son of God. As in he is God. Jesus is God. He is not a God. But he is the God. He is the creator. Like we looked at two weeks ago. He is the creator. He was not created. He's always existed. It's not that Jesus started existing 2,000 years ago when he was born in Bethlehem. That's not when Jesus started to exist. Jesus has always existed. Since the beginning of time. He is God. He is the son of God. And he is also the son of man. As in he is God in the flesh. He is fully human. Just like you and me. He is 100% God and he is 100% man. And so this allows him to be the perfect savior for us because it allows him to be the perfect substitute and the perfect mediator between God and man. Jesus is the perfect substitute as he died in the place for believers, truly being a substitute. See, Jesus died a horrible and brutal death on the cross really was meant by by the Romans to be just the worst thing you could possibly do to a human. The way in which you can make their life the most miserable and painful and excruciating excruciating pain. And for Christ, as we see the account of the crucifixion, he was tied to a pole, and he was whipped over and over again. They say 40 lashes is what kills a man. So they gave him one less than 40, 39 and these, you, as you may know, these whips, often I think were called nine-tail whips, which had multiple uh, strands of the leather, not just one whip like Indiana Jones, but like nine, let's say, and on it was tied broken pieces of maybe glass or sharp rocks in which so that when they whipped him and pulled it back, it would dig into the skin and rip it out not once, not twice, not three times, not four, not five, but 39 times, where they whipped him his back over and over again. This is God we're talking about. He's the one who created these people. He created the materials for that whip, he created these humans. They've, they've sinned against him, and he's humbly tied to this pole, getting whipped. Now his back is just falling off. His skin is falling off, blood dripping everywhere. And they give him crown of thorns. They again the order incorrect. crown of thorns, big thorns, thick thorns, not little tiny rose bushes. Thick thorns, they tie, like, make it into a crown. So they don't, they just put on his head lightly, but they dig it into his skull. So it pierces into his head, blood dripping down his head. They spit on his face, mocking him, beating him with a club, a rod, covering his face, hitting him, mocking him, saying that he should, you know, you know where it's coming from next? Why don't you defend yourself, protect yourself? Then they give him this heavy cross, which he needs to walk, I don't know how many miles or how far it was, long distance we well, see they put this cross, he must carry it on his back. And remember, his back now is probably just showing his bones. And he's carrying it. Hasn't eaten for maybe it's a couple days. Maybe getting the details incorrect. He has the cross. He's walking. And then he lays down. And they take big, thick, steel nails, one in each hand, onto the cross. One for his feet, in which now he's nailed, literally nailed in, onto a piece of wood. And they raise him up. Oftentimes, I think we, we think of it uh, as a decorative cross, which is very high. We don't have one any anymore. A decorative one, but most likely how they would do it is actually with more ground level. They would dig the hole in the ground, stick it in, and maybe they would stand up like like this far from the ground. So they would be hanging. They sold his clothes and fulfilled a prophecy in that. So he literally is standing there naked. It's shameful. Standing there naked as people are walking by casting insults at him. Telling him, you're truly the son of God. Get yourself down from that cross. If you can save others, why can't you save yourself? Of course he can. Of course at any moment He has the authority to call down a legion of angels and just says, wipe them out right now and boom, they'd all be dead and their mouths would be shut instantly. But he withheld that authority and he hung there being insulted. Every single time he needs to take a breath, he has to physically push himself up as he's nailed to the cross. And so it's hurting his hands and his feet as he's just trying to get every single breath His back scraping against that wood. His hands being scraped against those nails. It's excruciating pain. This is the crucifixion. It was meant to be torturous. But the worst part of that, of the crucifixion, is not anything that I just described. That was horrible. And hopefully none of us would have to ever go through that kind of a pain. But the worst part of the crucifixion was being forsaken by his father and having God's wrath poured on him. And this is something that no Hollywood movie can portray rightly. There are some movies, I think, that show the crucifixion maybe in a pretty good historic way. But they will never be able to capture the pain and the torment of God's wrath on his shoulders. That eternal weight and punishment of your sin poured onto his innocent shoulders. Matthew records in his gospel in chapter 27 that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, the father, holy and just, cannot have communion with sin. And so he looked upon his son and he saw the sins on his shoulders And so he looked away in disgust and he poured his wrath upon him. The perfect relationship that they had for all of eternity, now at a schism because he traded his righteousness for our sin. We cannot underestimate that. The Father and the Son, perfect communion for all of eternity past. And now Christ decided to take upon our sin and be crushed by his Father prophet isaiah prophesies of this in chapter 53 wonderful chapter i'll just read verses four and five It says surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we stricken him sh- uh, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted listen to this in verse five but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, that's in the whippings, we are healed. And did you hear that? Look at all the him and the us. He suffered and we gained. He was wounded, our transgressions. He was crushed, our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, gave us peace. His stripes, we are healed. Like why? Do you see what happened? You see what's going on. You hated God. you sinned against Him. You had no hope to even love Him. And yet He died for you. When you do not deserve it, the punishment that we deserve, He received. And the reward that He deserves, we receive. And because of this, because of what Christ accomplished on our behalf, we have the forgiveness of the Father, and we've been made alive in Him. Colossians 2 13 and 14 says, You who were dead in your trespasses, there it is again, spiritually dead. It says, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. Isn't this amazing? I think one of the sweetest truths in all of Scripture is the complete forgiveness that we have in Christ. Each one of us have sinned against a holy and a just God, but in Christ we have forgiveness of our sins, complete forgiveness. All of our sins have been forgiven in Him. If you are in Christ, every single sin of yours has been forgiven. Do you realize that? If you're a Christian... All of your past sin, all of your present sin, all of your future sin, all the sins in which you keep hidden, in which you wish and you hope no one ever knows about that sin, forgiven. Every single sin forgiven in Christ. How? He said, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Paul says we've been forgiven of our spiritual debt, that God has canceled his debt, that those in Christ no longer owe God that debt, but we've been set free from it. We've been set free from this debt. But how can a just God simply free us our debt and forgive us? He says right here, because this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our sin, our debt was nailed to the cross of Christ. If you are in Christ, the debt that you owe was placed on the innocent shoulders of Christ. That he bore your wrath on your behalf. You see, we see justice and we see mercy at the cross. Justice as every sin of yours was accounted for. And it was paid for in full by Jesus on the cross. That your sin and your debt has been dealt with justice and mercy as God withholds his wrath upon you. Christian, you will never receive a single drop of the wrath that you deserve because Christ took that cup of wrath on your behalf. God's wrath will be satisfied. It must be paid for. Where is your wrath stored up? Where is your wrath stored up? It is either waiting for you for all of eternity in the lake of fire or it was placed on Christ on the cross. If you are not a Christian, please know that you are in debt and you cannot get yourself out of debt by being here. You cannot give yourself out of debt by living a good life or by knowing all the answers or anything. One day you have to pay for your sin and you will endure God's wrath forever. But there is hope in Christ. Place your faith in Him that He has paid it all. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. And if you are in Christ, rest in the fact that all of your sins have been forgiven. Rest in that truth and don't ever lose the sweetness of that truth. Remember the debt that you owe and know that it's all gone. See, sometimes I think we minimize our sin. We minimize the debt that we owe. And in doing so, we end up minimizing what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. We minimize the grace and the mercy of God. Remember what the Lord has done for you. Remember how deep your sin is and let it create in you an enormous amount of gratitude and thanksgiving and worship to him. Well, lastly, very briefly, but in some ways even maybe most importantly, Jesus has risen from the dead, conquering over sin and death. He is risen from the dead, conquering over sin and death. You see, Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but he is risen from the dead. And this proves that he's conquered sin and death. And it proves that he has secured salvation with him. See, because if Christ was still dead, this would all be a waste. Because he'd be just like a normal man. He would not be God. Sin would have overpowered him. He would not have overpowered sin. And this wouldn't matter. But he did rise from the dead. And as a result, it shows that he conquered sin. It shows that he's more powerful than sin. So why is this important? Because remember, it's because of our sin that we deserve to go to hell. But since Christ defeated sin, he can say, no, I died for you. Your sin will not be held against you. I took it for you. And I conquered it. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can confidently say we have eternal life in Him. And we therefore worship a living God. You have a problem. Are you aware of this? Are you aware of your greatest problem? Do you you know that about yourself, of this problem, your natural problem? And whether you acknowledge it or not, it's still there. You know, you could have a cavity. Maybe some of you do. Brush your teeth. You could have a cavity, and you could deny it, but it's still there. You go to the dentist, and he could say, uh, "You have a really big cavity. You're gonna need to get that thing filled." And they're gonna be like, "I don't have a cavity. You know what you're talking about? I, I don't need know. I'm fine. I don't need a filling." And you could deny it. And the only thing that's going to happen is your tooth is just eventually going to rot out. It doesn't change the fact that the cavity is still there just because you deny it. What's worse is that you can still be rotting in your sin and not be saved. And you could be denying it. It's still there. You could be on that seat headed straight for hell and be denying it. But it doesn't change the fact that you're still there. What we have seen in Scripture is true. It's not fairy tales. It's not make-believe. This is a problem we all bear. And Christ is the true and the only solution. Do you have the solution? If you were told that you have two weeks to live, say, you were told, look, look, you only got two weeks to live, for sure, and you're going to die. There's no question about it. But here's the solution. It's right here for you to take. You are going to die in two weeks. But I have just this one little pill. You take this pill. You will live. You you will not die in two weeks. You will be healed. Would you ignore that solution? Would you say, no, doc, I'm not actually going to die in two weeks. I don't want your pill. Forget it. Would you try to have your own solution instead? And say, no, I don't want that. Even though you say, it's the only thing that can heal me. I think really all I need to do... I drink more water, like Ethan said. I'll be fine. Or would you take that right solution? See, the Bible is telling you that your solution is Christ. Do you have him? Or are you ignoring him? Do not ignore true life. But instead receive the free goods of salvation found in Jesus Christ. Believe in him in faith. And repent of your sins and be saved. And some of you are saved. And praise God for His grace in your life. You have received the gift of salvation through Him. So I want to leave you, Christian, with just a few applicable thoughts for you. And then we'll be done. First, Christian, don't don't forget about this problem that you had, that you that you have been saved from. Don't forget, don't, don't think, oh, the, the, the problem's solved now, so like i have already saved, so it, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, it's, it's all good, and then you forget it, and you don't care. Constantly remind yourself of the weight of your sin, and remember Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. Remember the grace of God in your life. And keep these truths at the center of your heart. Keep the truth of Christ. At the center of your heart, because it is your reason for everything, Christian. Why do you obey the Bible, Christian? Why do you go to church? Why do you fight your sin? Why do you pursue righteousness and obedience? It needs to be because Christ has saved you, because you love Him, because He loved you, and you want nothing else but to worship Him. This must be our motivation for everything in our life, in how you treat people, in what you pursue, in your obedience. In, in, in how you live your life for the Lord, it must be because you love Him. Because He first loved you. Lastly, Christian, I'll say this that in times of trials and hardships, don't doubt God's love for you. I know sometimes that's a temptation. When we go through difficult times, say, Does God really love me through this? When you are tempted to doubt God's love for you, look at the cross. Look at what he has done for you. Remember the greatest problem that you had. The greatest you ever have. And the great solution that he is providing. There is no greater love than that in which the Father has bestowed upon you. Christian, you have no reason to ever doubt God's love for you. Jesus is the solution. We have a huge problem we have a bigger solution in Jesus Christ. As we've been doing, I want to allow for time of silent prayer as we close. So where you are, be praying about these things. If you are not in Christ, use this time to reflect on what Christ has done. Use this time maybe to pray to God. Repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ. If you are a Christian, Reflect on the gospel in your life. Give him thanks and praise for the work he has done in your life. Go ahead and just have about a minute or so of silent prayer. I'll close with in prayer.